That's a pretty good song, isn't it? I mean, when you start thinking about just the way we use words and phrases and we talk about things that are awesome, and, and, and really when you think about the word awesome, it, it just draws this whole idea of standing in absolute awe in some presence. And what else is really awesome except for God himself? I mean, the awesome and mighty, true and living God. Man, he is awesome. He is awesome. This morning we're going to be in the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 3. We're looking at a passage of scripture that kind of breaks open the second half of the book of 1 John. We've been walking through what it means to live in light of God and who he is and, and how he has revealed himself to us. And we've, we've covered this idea of abiding or remaining or living in, in this for, for the last several weeks. And, and now we're, we're shifting focus and we're kind of putting some application to what he has done. And so let me just ask you a quick question as you are looking at this or as you're looking in your, in your Bible or on your phone or tablet. Let me ask you a question. What do you love the most? And, and, and as you're thinking about what you love the most, maybe you think about it in these terms. Why do you love it the most? Or how do you show that you love it the most? Because the word love is so strong and it's so, it's so characteristic of, of society in some ways on a superficial, but, but we're going to go below the surface. We're going we're gonna to dig a little deeper into this idea and this concept of love. And we're going to look at 1 John and just kind of see what exactly is it that the believer is supposed to do with the idea of love. Have you been impacted by love? Have you allowed love to impact you in such a way that it has shifted and changed your very fiber and your very being and how you interact and how you go and what you do and what you say and when you say it and how you say it and where you say it and all of these things? We've got teenagers over here that are dreaming of love one day. We've got older adults who have been basking in different seasons of love that can tell you just the, the true nature of love. But First John chapter 3, starting in verse 11, we find these words. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was the evil one, of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for that reason, why did he slay him? It was because his deeds were evil and his brother's deeds were righteous. So do not be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need but closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? 
Little children, let us not love with word and tongue, but in deed and truth. Let's pray together. Father, you are the God of mercy who has revealed your love for us in this way. You would pull back heaven and send your very own son, the eternal word of God, to us. To take on our flesh, to take on our form, to lower yourself to that level in such a way that you would then subject yourself to death for us. May we be marked by the same degree of love. Teach us your word today and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Love. That's a happy word, isn't it? Don't you just start getting happy thinking about love? And you start thinking about uh, what it means to be in love. And you start thinking about all the lovey-dovey, mushy-gushy feelings. And, and some of you may wonder what that's like. Some of you can vaguely remember what that's like. And some of you, you're blessed to live in that every single day. Man, love is a good thing. You know, there's a reason why the, the best songs that are written, the most popular songs that are written and played on your radio have to do with love, whether it's love lost or love gained or love hoped for. It's all about love. And the Beatles would tell us that all you need is love because love is all you need. But what happens when we allow love to be diluted to just this physical or emotional and forget what God has demonstrated for us about love? love we run the risk of falling prey to false teaching and false practice and 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 walking in a manner that is not in consistency with the gospel of Jesus Christ so we come to a passage like first John and we look at what he says and he tells us straight up this is the message you've heard from the beginning love one another man we're we're going old school here we're, we're, we're taking it back to the basics. We're taking it to the very beginning and the foundation of who God is and what God has done. It was an act of love that brought creation. It was an act of love that brought redemption. It was an act of love that brought us together. And it is for this very purpose that you and I, as followers of Christ, must keep love primary in our lives. We must keep love primary, not secondary, primary. Now, I want you to think for me just a second, all you married folks out there. What happens if your spouse makes love kind of a secondary or a third order issue in your marriage? And everything becomes a function of, well, we got to keep the house going. We got to keep the job going. We, we, we basically live together, but, you know, that's about the extent of our relationship. Man, the love has gone dry, right? It's run out. You're kind of miserable. You don't want to go home. But think about when love's primary. Oh, ladies, you're sitting there at the office all day, and you're thinking about, oh, when I get home to my husband, I love him so much. He's going to have this. He's going to do this. And he makes me feel this way. Oh, I just can't wait. Man, you're saying, oh, my wife is so wonderful. She takes care of me in this way. She does this. And she always makes me feel good. Oh, I just can't wait. Because love's primary. Love's the motivation of everything. And John says here in this passage of Scripture, remember what was the first order, the first importance, that love is to be how we interact with one another. It was the first thing. You've, you've heard it from 
the beginning. Oh, passage of scripture after passage of scripture that speak of love. I mean, let's just think about the love of God. For, for God so loved the world or God loved the world in this way that he sent his only son. That whoever believes in him wouldn't perish, wouldn't spend life without Christ, without, without God in eternity, but have everlasting life. That's a pretty strong verse on love, right? Man, Paul went on in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and wrote a whole chapter. We call it the love chapter. And people use it in marriage and say, love is patient, love is kind, and love does not brag or boast, it's not envious, it doesn't keep record of wrongs. We speak of all of these things about love because what we have to remember is that love is the primary motivation of the gospel. You were saved because of an act of love. You were saved because of an act of love. And for that reason, and that reason alone, love must be primary in our lives. Jesus says it this way in John chapter 15. Write these verses down in the margin there on your, on your outline. John 15 verses 12 and 13. This is Jesus' commands here. When Jesus gives a command, we got to listen to it because Jesus is the son of God. He's the savior. He's the eternal word. And he says this, this is my commandment that you love one another in the same way that I have loved you. That's a pretty big statement, isn't it? That's a pretty big statement. What happens when we don't love one another this way? We just call it life, actually. We, we call it living the way everybody else does. But you were saved by a Savior who loves you and gave you the ability to love one another the way that he has loved us. And he goes on in verse 13 and says, Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. Most of us won't lay down the phone for our friends. Much less our life. Research is starting to show that the single most important thing in someone's life is a cell phone, a smartphone, something they can wear and walk around. I mean, have you noticed how, how this little device right here has completely obliterated public etiquette? You know, when, 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 you, when you have kids, when you have kids, you teach them that when you're in a conversation with someone... They don't come up to you, mama, 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 daddy, 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 mama, mama, daddy, daddy, dug on the pants leg, pulling everything, and interrupt every. You say, no, you, I know you're there. Wait till I'm finished, and I'll talk to you in a second, right? That's what you teach your kids, because you want them to grow up to be respectful. How many of you have kids, and you've been teaching that lesson, but you're standing there talking to somebody, oh, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, what, what, tell, me, tell me again what you were saying. You interrupt the conversation because of something on your phone. It could be a fantasy football update. It could be a text message. It could be just something that says your, your CVS prescription's ready. But all of the manner of etiquette is that what you're communicating is, I don't love you enough to respect the conversation. See, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life. For his but I say it again, we won't even lay down our phones for our friends anymore. But love is supposed to be primary. It's to be the motivation. It should be what causes you to step forward when you step forward or step back when you step back. It should be the thing that says, you know what, I am going to say this. No, I'm not going to say this. Ooh, man. Maybe instead of saying this, we should uh, talk about tweeting this or Facebooking this or Instagramming this. 
See, love is a reflective of what's going on in the heart. And if Christ Jesus is king of your heart because he is your savior, then love must be kept primary. Why? Because hate is the way that the world operates. Hate is the way that the world around you operates. Notice what he says here. This is the message you've heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was the brother, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. But for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So don't be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. Now, I, I'm going to be real with you for just a second. There have been so many times I've read through the book of 1 John. And this, these verses have always just stuck out to me, kind of like that sore thumb. They've stuck out to me like a nicely well-manicured lawn. And then there's that one weed that kind of grows up over everything. I mean, everything looks great except for that one. What in the world does Cain have to do with love one another? Now, we know what Cain did. Genesis chapter 4 tells us the, the whole story. Cain and Abel, the two sons of Adam and Eve, the very first two sons, the first children ever born, Cain was one that worked with uh, the garden and Abel was one that tended to the flocks. And they came to worship God one day. And, and Abel, he brought the very best firstborn lamb and slew it before God, offered it as a sacrifice of love to the Lord his God. And here comes Cain. And the book of Genesis says it this way. And Cain brought some of the fruit of his crop. So Cain's sitting there, he's like, oh, I just went through the harvest. So there's an apple and there's a squash and there's a pear. This would be good. I'll just take this to God. Oh, oh here, cabbage. Cabbage smells funny when you cook it. So I'll make sure I take that to God too. I'm not going to eat that cabbage. So here we go. We're going to take, oh, broccoli. Nobody eats broccoli. So I'll make sure God gets the broccoli because, you know, I'm not going to use that anyway. That's, that's what's going on in Cain's heart. It's this love of self and love of possession and so what happens, God accepts Abel's offering and rejects Cain's. And if you were with us in the Genesis study that we did last year, then you'll remember God warned him. Cain, you got to settle something in your heart because evil is lurking and evil is approaching. And if you're not careful, it will overtake you. Cain saw the opportunity while his brother was out tending the flock. And it says in the book of Genesis chapter 4 that he slayed his brother. Murdered him in cold blood. Over a church service. Over an offering. Over worship. And John pulls this image in here and says, we are to love one another. And it's not about the murder. It's about the motivation of the heart. It's about what's going on on the inside and how if we're not loving one another, we're acting the way the world operates because the world operates on the basis of hate. That does not mean there aren't good people out there. It does not mean that some of the most kind and generous and benevolent people you will ever meet are on a highway headed straight for hell. What it does mean is that the system that's operating around the world is under the control of our enemy, the devil. And he wants nothing more than for you to think that you're okay just the way you are and you do not need a savior. Why? Because he hates 
God. Jesus said it this way over in the book of John, chapter 8, verse 44. He says that you are of your father, the devil, and he who was a murderer from the beginning. I'll see. I don't have enough time to tell you about the beginning. I wish I did. Come by the office. We'll talk about it over a couple of days and a couple of cups of coffee. Uh, A couple of pots of coffee, probably. But there was a time when Satan himself was seated in heaven as the chief worship leader. His currency was the praise of God. And he was the one that saw the glory of God and thought to himself, I want some of that for me. And he elevated his heart to try to usurp the authority and the throne of God. And what ended up happening was he was cast out. It talks about it over in the book of Isaiah chapter 28. And Jesus speaks in the book of Matthew. I saw Lucifer, the bright morning star, when he was cast down out of heaven. And you know what ended up happening? There was a third of the legion of angels that went with him because he was not going down alone. He was a murderer from the beginning. The last thing he wants you to do is see the love of God, to see the beauty of God, and to know that you can be accepted and, uh, and loved by that God. Because he hates. And Jesus said over in the book of Matthew chapter 5, you know, you might not have killed somebody, but if you were angry with them, that seed of hate was already there. And in your heart, you're guilty of murder. And he says here in this passage of scripture, he says, we know that we have passed out of death to life because we love the brother, but he who does not love abides in death. It's a strong word. It's a strong word because we must understand that the world is going to hate us. But I want you to notice something else about this. I I, I want you to, to, to notice something very particular and very specific about what's going on with Cain and Abel and what's going on in the system of the world. It's not just that the world wants to be mean and hates you. It's that evil cannot stand righteousness. Evil detests righteousness. Man, I wish I could tell you that, man, if you just come to Jesus, give your life to Christ, worship him, praise him, put him first of everything, that all your problems are gonna go away. I wish that I could tell you that the way the gospel worked was you come to Jesus, you get saved, and it's just hip, hip, hooray, party, peaches, and puppies all the time. Your body doesn't hurt. You don't have to worry about dying. You're never going to get disappointed, man. You're just smiling and happy all the time. And the harder you work for the Lord and the harder you apply your heart to the gospel, the easier it gets. But that's not the case. Because the world operates on a system of hate, The hate is geared towards righteousness. It's geared towards the holiness of God. And so the closer you come to God and the more you allow this principle of holiness and righteousness and love operate in your life, you know what? It's gonna get harder for you. Because there is something real going on around you that the naked eye cannot see, but spiritually is active and it's called spiritual warfare because Satan does not want you to glorify God. He wants you to seethe with anger that someone else is getting something you think you deserve. 
He wants you to revel in jealousy over, over other beings and what they have in, and focus on something wrong that somebody else did and think, I'm not as bad as that guy. And you probably aren't as bad as that guy. But before a loving and holy God, you actually are and you need a savior. And when you come to him and experience his love, you can bask in that. And we want to show you how. But just know that the world around you, it isolates you, it, it lets you down, it breaks you because it wants to use you for what you can offer because it doesn't care about you. It operates on a system of hate. But John goes on. John goes on and shifts away from hate a little bit to talk a little bit more about love because let's be real, we'd rather hear about love than hate, wouldn't you? You call somebody that you care about, you're gonna call your grandma. Everybody loves their grandma. You're going to call your grandma. Grandma, I love you so much. And your grandma says, I hate you. What? Nobody wants to hear that. You want to hear, oh, I love you too, sweetie. What do you need? I'll give you anything you want. That's what you want to hear from your grandma, isn't it? He says this. Don't be surprised if the world hates you, but we know, this is evidence, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Did you know that love is an evidence of eternal life? It is not the basis of eternal life. It is not the guarantee of eternal life. It is not what gives you eternal life. But it is a sure evidence that the love of God resides in you when you're able to shine with that love no matter what the circumstance is. When something just absolutely puts you on your fanny, when something absolutely knocks you down, when something absolutely takes the wind out of you and you're able to shine with love towards another person, you're showing that I've got something bigger. I've got something greater. I've got this wellspring of eternal life in me. Love is the evidence of eternal life. Love, he says here, is the sure evidence that you have passed from death into life because you're operating on a whole new system. Man, you swap from, an, from a Mac to a, to a Windows or Windows to a Mac, whichever way you want to go. Man, you're, you're operating completely differently. You ditched your Ford and bought yourself a Chevy. You, you ditched your Coke and bought yourself a Pepsi. You're running a completely different offense. You're, you're hitting at championship level, not run over here in the JV. This is what happens when we have the love of God flowing through our veins, through our lives, through our motivation. We are showing, you know what? I've got something different. If the world operates on a system of hate, I'm operating on a system of life that is generated by the love of God at work in me. Or maybe we could phrase it this way. Because you were born in love, live today in love. Because you were born again from the love of God, live today as though that love of God reigns in you. Because in Christ Jesus, it does. My, my, my mind is now different because I have this eternal life based on the love of God. My heart is now different. My actions are now different. My words are now different. Everything about me has the evidence of eternal life because love is flowing through my veins. And this is true of us in Christ. Not because we're good people that just figured it out but because of what Jesus Christ has done. Notice what it says in verse 16. We know love by this, that he, Christ Jesus, laid down his life 
for us. Jesus Christ is our example of how we love this way. Our true example of love is found in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, who even though he knew he was about to be betrayed, washed Judas's feet anyway. Man, that'd go a whole lot, that'd go a long way in your social media post, wouldn't it? That'd go a long way in your circle of friends. That'd go a long way in your workplace. You know somebody's about to stab you in the back to get the promotion that you've been working hard for, but you love and serve them anyway. That's what Christ Jesus did. Man, he knew what Judas was about to do. You remember? We, we, sometimes we forget that, right? Sometimes we forget that whole Lord's Supper scene. We remember, we, we remember the whole, uh, the one who dips his, uh, the, dips his hand in the cup with me or the one I give this morsel to, he's the one that's gonna betray. But we forgot John chapter 13 that before the dinner plates were brought out, Jesus is stripping down uh, and washing feet himself. And you know who wanted to wash feet in Jesus's day? Nobody. They didn't have Nikes. They didn't have Jessica Simpson heels. They didn't have all of these nice designer shoes and socks. You know what they had? Less than flip-flops on dirt streets that had animals walking everywhere. They did not have the city sanitation department coming behind those animals either. So when you entered the house, whatever was in the street was on your feet. And Jesus said, I'm going to serve you in this way. I'm going to wash. And I know you're about to turn me over to die. Or as the way Paul says it in Philippians chapter two, man, if you do not know Philippians chapter two, verses five through 11, write it down, go home, read it, memorize it, print it out. If you've got a Bible out, hit the print button, put it on your, put it on your refrigerator, put it on your vanity mirror. That, man, this is the strongest reminder of what Christ Jesus has done for us. It says this in, certain, in verse five. It says, Excuse me, sorry, verse four. Do not merely look at, out for your own personal interests, but also have the interests of others. Have this attitude among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Some translations would say, have this attitude, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped or to be used for his own advantage. But he, Christ Jesus, emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross remember greater love hath no man than this that he would lay down his life for his friends and for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You want an example of how you can love someone else? Look no further than Jesus your Savior. Jesus, blessed Jesus exalted king of glory who lowered himself to the form of a man, a human. And some of you might not have high opinions of men. You think, yeah, that's a pretty low form that he took. But when you start thinking big about yourself, remember that in order to save you, Jesus had to become you. And so it, the Bible says that he made himself nothing. That's love. That's love. And John says here in 1 John chapter 5, excuse me, 1 John chapter 3, 
we know what love is because he laid down his life. We don't know what love is because she made you feel good, because he made you, made you tingly and bought you roses. We don't know love because somebody surprised you with a gift. We know love because of Jesus. Crucified, but risen again. So what do we do with this love? What does Christ's example mean for you and for me today in 2019? Fortunately, John answers that question for us at the end of verse 16. He says, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Love is demonstrated by what, how we treat one another. Love is demonstrated by how we treat one another. Over the next three verses, verse 16, 17, and 18, John gives us at least three, I've got three listed there for you, of what this treatment of others should look like and, and how it affects your day-to-day decision-making and where we go from here. And he starts off by showing us that love is sacrificial. Love is a sacrifice. It requires sacrifice he laid down his life it it, it wasn't that God said you know what I made all these people in my image I love them they're good and just left us to rot in our sin He loved us and knew that we couldn't earn our way back. So he made the sacrifice to cover our sin. And every relationship that you have that has been successful, there has been sacrifice at some regard. How many of you are married and are exactly the same way you are right now as you were the day you met your husband or wife? You're not. You are a different person. Let me rephrase that. You better be a different person. If one of you is exactly the same, the other of you has sacrificed too much to uphold and enable your selfishness because you have not loved your spouse, you have loved yourself. Love requires sacrifice. If you are a child, and it doesn't matter if you're a child in your 90s or you're a child in your teens. If you are a child, your parents loved you and sacrificed in some way. Whether they were your natural born parents or parents that brought you into their family, they sacrificed for you. You know, I love my kids. Y'all know this. I love my kids. I don't love waking up at 7 o'clock on a Saturday. If you've got young kids, you're going to get up at 7 o'clock on a Saturday because one of them's hungry, one of them's jumping on your bed, one of them's got to go to the bathroom, and they just do that. But you love them. If you're a mama, you sacrificed your body to have that child. Because you loved them. You loved them. Kids, you will never know, well, Girls, you'll know one day when you have kids of your own. Guys, boys, you will never know the sacrifice your mama made to carry you. 
Those jeans that she wore when your daddy saw her and said, that's going to be my wife one day. She can't get into anymore. She had to sacrifice, but she loves you. She wouldn't take it away. She wouldn't have it because love requires sacrifice. And here he says, because we saw that Christ Jesus loved us enough to lay down his life, why are we unwilling to make the similar sacrifice? I'm not saying go kill yourself or somebody. But as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, consider others as more important than yourself. Lower yourself, sacrifice the ego, sacrifice whatever you need to in order to demonstrate the love because Christ Jesus gave everything. He gave up heaven. He gave up his position. He gave up his eternal form. You know what? He even gave up his omniscience because he became fully man. Now the lady said, yeah, we know men are small. Yeah. He willingly sacrificed and then gave up his life. He bled real blood. He died a real death. And he says, because of that, notice verse 16, we ought to lay down our lives for one another. And, and I want you to notice the scope here. John is not talking about laying down your life for somebody that's way over there that's not part of church. He's talking about for one another. We can't focus on who we're going to reach if we're not willing to sacrifice for one another. It says for the brethren, for the brothers, for the family of God, for the church, for the congregation. How many times we're so willing to allow our churches starve because we're not willing to allow ourselves to be sacrificed so that the church can grow with the glory of God in Christ Jesus and demonstrate his power, majesty, and glory for all times. But then the second thing he shows, it's not just that love requires a sacrifice, but love opens the heart. Love opens the heart. Notice he says here, whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Now, now John's not talking about um, working in, in foolishness or not executing wisdom, but it's like, if you see your brother in need, you, you, man, you want to talk about exponential church growth? I mean, I, I hear it. I, I, I interviewed here a couple of years ago, two and a half years ago, and man, every pastor search committee says the same thing. Man, we want our church to grow. We're ready for our church to grow. Man, we're, we're, I, have, I have yet, and I've, I've interviewed with several churches over the years, none in the last two and a half years, in case anybody's wondering, but I've interviewed with several churches over the years, and I have yet to meet one that says, you know what? We don't want to grow. We don't know. Every church says we want to grow. But not every church is willing to do what it takes to grow. Not every church is willing to sacrifice for the brothers. Not every church is willing to open up the heart. And here, what John is saying here, think, think back to the first church. Acts chapter 2 talks about, man, there were 3,000 people baptized in that first church service. Man, that was huge. And it says that everybody, starting in verse 42, they started coming together, devoted themselves to, to the teaching of the apostles, the breaking the bread of the prayer, and they were buying and selling their goods in order to meet one another's needs. And this open heart says, you know what, you have a real felt need and I have something I can do in order to help you, to make sure that your needs are met. And it's not abusing the system, it's not enabling. And I'm talking about executing wisdom. You've got to execute wisdom. You can't be an enabler. You can't be, allow someone to be a consistent drain. But walking in wisdom and saying, you know what, I love you enough that I'm going to open my heart. And I say, you know what, I'm not going to help you knowing that we've, we've got that. 
And, and sometimes that looks different. That's not always financial. Sometimes it's speaking up when there's injustice. Sometimes that's speaking up when there is clear sin involved. Sometimes opening up our heart means opening up our mouths because we see that there is something detrimental that is hurting and harmful and we want to see them grow out of that. And it says, oh no, I can't turn a blind eye to that. That's not acting in love. Furthermore, it's not acting in love to allow your lost friends, family, neighbors, whoever continue on their pathway towards hell without saying there's a savior that loves you and died for you. But I don't want to be judgmental. I, I love them too much. I, Christians are too negative. No, no, no. The most loving thing you can do is tell somebody that there's a Savior. It's actually a, a, a work of hate to not tell them that there's a Savior. If you were dying of a disease and the doctor had the cure but didn't tell you, you would be pretty mad at that doctor, wouldn't you? But if the doctor has the cure, you want them to let you know. And love opens the hearts. Love opens your heart. Because love is a verb. Love is a verb. Notice he says here, children, do not let us love with word or tongue, but in deed and truth. Let's put our money where our mouth is. Let's put, put actions to our words. He says, you know, you could go on and talk all these great things. Oh, we love, we want to do this, and we love, and we love. But all of our actions speak otherwise. It's kind of like your closest relationships. You tell someone that you love them, whether it's a spouse or a child or a dear friend. But everything about what you do communicates you don't care about the relationship. We talked about this in our college Sunday school classes when we talked about idolatry. And, we, and we're, we're, we're working through a, through a book about idolatry and identifying idols of our heart. And, and how God says, I am a jealous God. And it's actually the jealous of God that's motivated by his love that says, I actually care about you. So for example, the example that we used this morning was, let's just imagine that, that you saw someone that you knew was married and they were on a date with someone that wasn't their spouse and you called their spouse and say, I just saw your husband on a date with another woman. And that wife said, eh, that's all right. You're gonna think she actually doesn't care about her husband or this relationship. They, they say they're married. They say they have this, but there's nothing that demonstrates. And you go to the man and say, this isn't your wife. He's like, yeah, she'll be all right. I, I love my wife, but I don't do anything about it. If we say that we love one another, then there must be an action that says that. He's like, well, well how, how do I do that in the context of the church? Real quick, I've got two minutes. Ready? Two minutes. Be here. Be part of a discipleship group, Sunday Bible study, midweek. Give sacrificially because everything that we do here, there is a financial component to that for us to be able to help others, for us to be able to continue to reach. There is a gift. And here's the real thing. It's not just that you, know, you need to be here. It's because when you are here, you are directly communicating to one another that your presence is important and I'm here to show you that. Now, now for example, let's put it this way. I'm the pastor here. Y'all expect me to show up, to take my job seriously, to prepare a sermon and come up here. So, so let's just imagine, let's just imagine next Sunday morning, this is not gonna happen, but just next Sunday morning, I show up 
I'm in my pajamas. And I say, you know, guys, I didn't really prepare a sermon, so let's just... Uh, First Kings, all right, let's go with First Kings, all right? Let me tell you about First Kings. First Kings chapter 9. This is about Solomon. So let's just talk about Solomon for a minute. You go home. What have I communicated to you? I don't take my commitment here seriously. I don't take the call that God placed on my life seriously. And I do not love you as a church enough to consider what I would communicate in doing that. I don't love you as a church enough to say, you know what, if my responsibility as a pastor is to feed the flock, to feed the sheep, then I've got to know what the word of God says, why the word of God says, and I've got to have something prepared to give them. Then all I'm telling you is I don't really love you. I don't really love this church and you being here doesn't really matter. I don't take your time, your time sacrifice on Sunday morning seriously enough to give you something that would motivate you to love Christ more because his word is that important, right? But this isn't just a me thing. Love is a verb. Love is actually, man, I love my church. I love the people of my church. Well, then let's pour into one another. Let's come in together. Let's engage in Bible study and, and, and worship together. Not just during the 11 o'clock hour, but on Wednesday night, on Sunday morning during Sunday Bible study to say, you know what? Being here is important and I love you enough to communicate that to you by my presence here. That's a responsibility all of us can take. You don't have to preach. You don't have to teach Sunday school class. Be here and love one another because love is a verb. 